Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. I'm married to the beautiful Fiona, who's at the back with our little girl, Olivia Grace. And uh, it's a massive privilege to be able to preach this evening. I promise I'll be brief, which in itself will be a Christmas miracle. Speaking of Christmas miracles, I've mentioned many times, but I think it gives hope to, to many people here, if I just keep reiterating it, that I actually met my wife on a night similar to this, an evening at church in this very building. I met my wife here. And uh, as a redhead, I think that's a Christmas miracle. It's a Christmas miracle if you're single, lean in with faith, because who knows? Who knows who'll be having a hot chocolate across from you later this evening? Who knows? But I just want to say, uh, speaking of uh, Christmas miracles and speaking about my wife, it's about six years ago that we first met in this building, and it's about six years ago that I started uh, pursuing her. Um, and uh, I know it's a shock to many of you, but she wasn't keen straight away. I know it's a shock. I know. Ed Sheeran lookalike. I know. But uh, minus a few pounds. But anyway, uh, but you know what? She wasn't keen straight away, so it took all of my tact, all of my guile to win her over. And it came to the 20th of April. It was a Saturday. We actually had worked all my charm to its full extent. And it was the 20th of April, a Saturday, where I picked her up one day, and I thought, this is the day. It's either we're going all out. I need a winner over now, or it's it's never going to happen. So this day was planned to a T. Uh, we started with breakfast on the beachfront. It was beautiful. It was a sunny day. It was, it was spectacular. I, w- I had witty conversation to share. My jokes were good, as usual, on point, you know. And uh, we moved from the breakfast, and, and I thought, you know, she's now seen one side of me. I thought, let, let, me, let me up the stakes a little bit. And uh, this is a good move if you're taking notes and you're single. This is a good one to write down. Um, but I want to show that I wasn't just all good conversation. I was up for a, a bit of excitement as well. And we went to Ratanga Junction. Rest in peace, Ratanga Junction. But uh, we went there, and, and, and I took Fiona. This was just what, this part of my playbook, playbook, making a move playbook. And uh, we did the Cobra together, and she saw that I was calm under pressure. You know, she started to get one, one over. And it didn't stop there the day. The day went on, and we ended up at Camps Bay at uh, a restaurant that's overlooking Camps Bay. Had a live band in the garden, and uh, we were eating snacks and food, and, and, and just life was good. Life was good, and I was getting encouraged that this thing's, this thing's going down. Tonight, today, she's, she's not leaving here just unimpressed any longer. Uh, and the day I wanted to prove to her that actually I needed to ask her to be my girlfriend that day, and on the way back, we, started, we stopped at Sunset Beach with a frozen yogurt, because you know, local is lacquer, right here in Milnerton. Can you believe it? In our backyard, this happened. And uh, on the beachfront, I said to Fiona, I think that we need to start dating. And she, she, she stuttered, she stumbled, and eventually she said, yeah, uh, why not? You know, the words everyone wants to hear after a day like that. Why not? What's the harm? So it became official, and uh, I dropped off, and I raced home. And before I would got home, I already made about three or four phone calls to different friends and family members to say, we're dating. It's on. It's on. And I, I was about to up- upload some status and some photos of the day, and it changed my Facebook profile picture saying that I'm in a relationship, you know, cause, which would have been too much dismay of many single girls in Cape Town. But you know what? You know, when your heart's been captured by, by the one. And I was about to press send, about to upload these photos. Then Fiona sends a message on that evening just saying, thanks for the day, but I think we need a chat tomorrow. And that was it. What followed was the longest night of my life, as I thought this was the shortest lived relationship ever. I felt, I was thinking, what am I going to tell my family when they say, hey, how's the new girlfriend? Oh, no. 
it, it's actually no longer the new girlfriend. It's the old, it's the ex from yesterday. And I, I was stressing, it was, it was the dark night of the soul, if, one, if I can use those words. I tossed and turned, I thought, what is she going to say? Well, how will I work my magic out of this, this, this predicament? Eventually came that Sunday after church, we met on the beach, and she said, I, I haven't known you for that long. Is, is this wise? Now, let me say this. I am no Harvey Specter, but I have watched a lot of suits in Boston Legal. And I kicked into my, my most incredible lawyer skills that, that, that afternoon. And I told her intricately why this was a good idea. Why dating a ginger in this, this day and age would be amazing. And, and, and she, she, she it seemed to work because as the classics say, the rest is history. We are now parents of one child and we've got another one on the way. So I want to tell you, that date was profound for me. What am I trying to get to here? Is that actually that Saturday night I went to bed with a heavy heart thinking that it was over. It was over before it even began. But I want to tell you that when you think it's over, it's just beginning. It's not over yet. Uh, why I tell all that nonsense up front? Firstly, to introduce myself and to tell you that I'm married because it's a Christmas miracle. But also to tell you that the Bible is, follows a similar sort of narrative, minus Ratanga Junction and the Redheads. But in the Bible, it follows a sort of understanding. The Old Testament is a, is a, it's just a run-up of anticipation of excitement, of longing, of, of promises that actually hope is coming, salvation is coming, the Messiah is coming. And you can feel as you turn the pages of Scripture, it feels like it's getting more and more exciting and the day is getting, getting closer, the moment's coming, the Messiah is coming. And the last few pages of the Old Testament end with this declaration that the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in His wings. Hope is filling the pages of the Old Testament as they wait and they press into this moment that the Messiah will be uh, will arrive and be revealed. But then what we find is, as we turn the page from Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, and we lean into the New Testament, in between those, those two moments are 400 years of silence. This promise of the Messiah's coming, hope and excitement. And then Israel, this nation with all these promises, is plunged into 400 years where there's no scripture written, there's no word from heaven, there's nothing but silence from God on this issue. And it feels for them like the dark night of the soul. 400 years worth of that. Has we, have we missed it? Is it over? Has the Messiah come? There's rumors of Messiahs popping up, but, but not the real thing. And, and they start to think, is it over? Is what we've been longing for not going to happen? But that's where we pick up the Christmas narrative. But before we get into that this evening, I want to say that no matter how hard your year has been, no matter if you've got here with the last little breath in your lungs tonight, you're like, I just can't wait to turn the page of 2018 over and get into 2019. Whether your year has been so bad that you have not been able to get the song Baby Shark out of your head, no matter how hard you've tried. God forbid, maybe you've even been a Manchester United supporter this year. It's been really tough. I want to tell you, jokes aside, maybe, maybe this has really been a really hard year. A year where promises were made, but they weren't fulfilled. That actually promises were not just not kept, but they were broken. That mar maybe your marriage has been under stress. Maybe there's been, there's been hopes that have been deferred. There's been sickness that has ravaged your body. This is a year that has been really hard for you. I want to tell you that whatever the world says, when at this moment you might be sitting here saying, I just, it just feels like everything that's going on in my life, it's over. My relationships are over. My, my financial situation is over. I don't know what, how I'm going to make it through. I want to tell you, because of the Christmas story, it's not over yet. It's not over yet. So this, this evening, I would love you to join in with me. We've been doing a lot of uh, collabing tonight, singing together, making animal noises together. 
Why don't we do one more thing? Why don't you turn to your neighbor and say to them, it's not over yet. And just whisper, I don't think he means the sermon. Let's pray very quickly. This evening, Father, I pray for us as we gather on this holy night, this night where there's a a crackling of hope in, in, in our hearts, a thrill of hope as a weary world rejoices. I pray tonight, firstly, God, for broken hearts here. Would you start to mend them as your scripture goes out? I thank you, God, by by your spirit, would you start to soften hard hearts here, hearts that have been jarred and broken and and let down by the the toughness of life. And God, far hearts, hearts that have wandered away from you and feel, is there any way back? I pray tonight you'll remind them that your grace goes further still. Tonight, I declare into every heart, it's not over yet. I pray that to be brandished in all of our hearts. Amen. Amen. Very quickly this evening, 400 years of silence, the book of Malachi to the start of the New Testament, 400 years of silence is broken in the most unusual way and in the most unusual place. It actually starts, the first sort of understanding of this, of of the, the promise being fulfilled, happens in a place called Nazareth. Now, Nazareth is a bizarre place because actually when we read of Nazareth in the, in Luke's gospel chapter one, it's the first time that the, the place Nazareth is mentioned in the whole Bible and all of the Jewish writings. Nazareth does not make an appearance until nearly three quarters of the way through the Bible. Nazareth, why? Because Nazareth was a a little blip on the radar. It had nothing essential going on there. Scholars will tell us at that time they had a population of between 50 to 100 people. Nazareth. Uh, People actually had a little joke they would say about it. They say, what good comes from Nazareth? Because actually nothing ever used to come of any worth of any value would come from Nazareth. But it's at that place, Nazareth that heaven first invades earth after 400 years of silence. Let me tell you, Nazareth, what's important to know is actually the word Nazareth so much so is that it actually is translated literally means separate or separate, separated. Nazareth was separate and separated from the life of Israel, the life of, of the religious people. It was separate from anything spectacular. And in this place, Nazareth, what's even more remarkable is the angel first appears. God first breaks the silence, not just in Nazareth, an unusual place, but to an unusual person, a person named Mary, who is, firstly, we found out was young. The scholars tell us that she was about between the ages of 12 and 15. So she probably spoke in emoticons, and she probably was waiting for Ed Sheeran to come next year. You know, that's, that's what is on her lips, 12 to 15 years old. Uh, she, not only was she young, but she was a woman. I know that goes without saying, but... But she was a woman, and why that is important for us to note is that actually in that society, women were not just separated, they were actually excluded from the religious life of society. Mary wouldn't, as a young woman, wouldn't have been allowed to go on the trip to Jerusalem once a year to go and offer sacrifices at the temple. As a woman, Mary would have, at at the very best, would have been able to sit at the back of the synagogue or outside. Mary, as a, as a woman, was, was disqualified from religious life. But we find in Nazareth, a place called Separate, we find in Nazareth a young woman named Mary getting the invitation of heaven to lean into heaven's story. But what's even more remarkable is we find out that she was betrothed to be married. Betrothal is a, a, a step up from engagement. It was, it was so solid that actually it was a year before uh, of, of betrothal, a year before marriage covenant would take place. But that year was so important that actually if you betrayed the, the, the covenant of the betrothal, you'd actually need a divorce to break off their relationship. 
And even if you cheated on that relationship, in the, in the far more uh, literal translations of the Torah, you could actually even have put that person to death. So here's a young woman in a place called Separate, a woman who is, is excluded from the, 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 the religious life of the day. Heaven breaks into that story after 400 years and says, actually, I've got good news of great joy for you. And Jesus is going to be born in your womb. It's this incredible thing. And I want to tell us in this moment, maybe you're sitting here or you're similar to me. And you know your disqualifications are clear and simple for the world to see. Your disqualifications, maybe you feel excluded or separate from the life of God because of things you've done or the circumstances you're in. Potentially, as I was preparing, I even felt of things maybe where you've messed up big time. And you don't know if you could ever even forgive yourself. Maybe you're feeling disqualified from the life of God. I want to tell you tonight, the good news of Christmas is that it's not over yet. No matter how far separate you feel, no matter how far disqualified you feel, Christmas declares it's not over yet. I want to tell you what's even more remarkable. The story takes traction. Jesus' birth, as Mary responds in faith to this pronouncement, in a, in a place called separate, she says, actually, I'm going to link into what heaven is saying, what God is saying at this time. Jesus' birth miraculously inside of her, and nine months, nine months go by, and we find that if you turn over the page in your, in your Bibles, you'll find that Mary and Joseph, as just before Jesus is born, they go to a place called Bethlehem. Now, Bethlehem is a remarkable place because it's about 10 kilometers from Jerusalem. Now, Bethlehem, uh, they were called there because it was a bit of a hub for social, economic, political life. And what was happening at that time was that there was a census taking place. A census to, to count the number of people, how many people in the province and, and in, the, in the nation at that time. So Mary and Joseph joined the throng of people and went to Bethlehem. They're going with expectation in their heart because they're pregnant. They're excited for what's going to happen. They're going to Bethlehem because also what is profound is that Bethlehem is literally translated as house of bread, house of provision. And they go there with a, a baby inside of them. But not only that, Bethlehem was a prophetic place that actually would have, any Jewish person would have known there was a bit of a twinkling of hope when they hear the word Bethlehem. Why? Because one of the last prophetic words was in the book of Micah, chapter 5, that's saying the Messiah will come from Bethlehem. So they're going there on the back of, you're going you're gonna to have birth the, the Messiah. And Mary is going pregnant to a place called Bethlehem, the house of bread where it will be provided for her. They go there with expectation. And all they meet there, unfortunately, is not in a place called house of bread. They find no bread and they find no housing. They find, after every knocking on every door, no room in the inn. No room in the inn. The, nation, the, 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 the town called Bethlehem, the town called house of bread, had nothing for them. The expectation was met with disappointment. And they had to go into a manger, a stable, where Jesus was going to be born. I want to tell us this morning, this evening, maybe you're here tonight. Maybe for you, this year promised much. You were promised by your boss a promotion. Maybe you were promised, you had in a relationship that promised much, but the promotion hasn't come through or the relationship has fallen flat. And 2018 has been a year of unmet expectations. You thought, this will be the year I'll lose weight. This will be the year I'll break that habit. This will be the year where things will change for me. And 28 has gone by. You're a year older, but nothing has changed. And you're left with a limp of disappointment. I want to tell you the good news of the Christmas story is that it's not over yet. It's not over yet. I want to tell us finally this evening that actually we find one other location that I want to bring to our attention tonight. Not just Nazareth, a place called separate. Not just Bethlehem, a house of bread and disappointment there. 
But a place called Golgotha, which finds at the end of the, of the Gospels, if you read it, we flick a few pages, and we find that actually the reason why I want to jump there is that Jesus actually did not come to earth primarily just to be born or just to give good teachings or just give us a new moral way of living. He didn't come primarily even to do great miracles. That's part of the package. But Jesus' primary aim of being born, Christmas, this moment where we celebrate his birth, can never be left alone and separate from his death. Because Jesus came to die, and die for you and I in our place. You see, at the age of 33, Jesus was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and was hung on a cross to die, and was died at a place called Golgotha, which literally translated means place of the skull, or as other scholars say, place of death. It was a well-known place where criminals were hung to die. And Jesus met the same fate as them. As a criminal, he died. In between two thieves, he died. And the incredible thing about the Gospels is we find in this narrative that Jesus, when he uttered out his last breath, the last words on the cross were this, it is finished. He declared, it is finished. I can imagine that moment as the disciples who have hope has started to usher into their hearts again as they have 400 years of silence and, and hope being diminished. But all of a sudden they start to see the glimmer of hope, a thrill of hope come as they watch Jesus' birth and the prophecies being fulfilled, the miracles, the teachings, the wonder of Jesus. And they're excited, maybe this will be the Messiah, the time that everything will come together. And they're looking on and then they hear these words, it is finished. And I can imagine to their, their ears they go, it's over. And disqualifications start to leap up again. You sided with the wrong guy. Go back to your fishing. Go back to the way it was. Disappointment starts to leap up as they start to realize maybe this is the end. Maybe there is no coming back from this moment. But I am so excited this evening to remind and, and refresh every heart here with this great news. That the heart of the gospel story, the heart of Jesus Christ and the narrative of the Bible is not a picture of a manger. The heart of the gospel is a picture of a resurrected king. The very essence of Christianity, what makes Christianity different from every other religion, is that our king is not dead. You cannot, find his, you cannot find his body, you cannot find anything, you can only find that he is not here, he is alive, because he died on the Friday. But the great news, he died with our disappointment, our disqualification, our discouragement, our debt, our brokenness, he died with it all, but he rose to victorious life on the Sunday. And the great news in the scripture says that those who trust him will be raised to life with him. The great news of the Christmas story is that no matter how far you think you've gone, whether you've been disqualified and you're in a place called separate, maybe you're disappointed and you just say, actually, I've unmet expectations, or even you're face-to-face with the brokenness of your sin and you say, there's no place to go for me. I want to tell you, the gospel says this to you this Christmas. It's not over yet. I'm going to ask the band to come up now as I tell one last story. I tell you, with such courage this evening, I have so much courage for us as a people because I have hope that for every marriage here, maybe every marriage is a marriage here that's holding on by the skin of its teeth. I want to tell you, I've got hope that you are not done yet because at the center of the gospel is resurrective life. I want to tell you, if you say, my health, the diagnosis of the doctors has said one thing. I've got hope for you, sir, ma'am. The diagnosis must bow to the resurrective power of Jesus Christ. I want to tell you, if you're here today and your finances are dry and you have nowhere else to turn, the resurrection says there's another day for you. If you're at the very end, he says, I'm just beginning. Because the gospel declares again and again, it's not over yet. I land with a story. For my family, the Phillips family, 
the 16th of March has always been a date that, that terrifies us, that haunts us, that's, that's, that's held us down. Why I say that was because on the 16th of March, uh, it was a date about, uh, about 40 years ago, my, my mom's first husband passed away from cancer on the 16th of March. They'd been married for a year. The year came with, with the di- diagnosis of cancer, and she walked him through his last days until he gave up his last breath and died on the 16th of March. A couple of years later, on the 16th of March, fate would have it that my mom received a phone call, and her family received a phone call that her brother, her younger brother, had just been murdered in England, the 16th of March. A few years later, my dad's mom died in a horrific car crash on the 16th of March. I don't know what to do with that, but for us as a family, the 16th of March every year would come with a somberness, a sadness. I just want to get over it. It was with disappointments of what ifs, what could have been, what should have been, what had been taken from us, of, dis- of despair, of, of questioning what did we do wrong. It was a day that haunted our family for many, many years. That was until the year 2017, when my daughter was born not on the 15th of March, not on the 17th of March, but on the 16th of March. What's profound about that is that because of that narrative, one of the reasons we, we named our daughter, we named her Olivia Grace. I've told you what names of men, Nazareth means separate. Bethlehem, house of bread, but that didn't live up to the promise. Golgotha, place of death. Olivia Grace means peace and underserved mercy. And I want to tell you, that day that felt like the darkest day for my family, that day that felt like something we could never shrug off, something that we could never walk free of, that day has been redeemed by the birth of a little girl who we believe is bringing peace and grace to broken memories, to painful hearts, to loss, and bringing saying that it's not over yet. Tonight I want to tell you this with faith in my heart. That if I, had, if I could, I would get my little girl, if you're in a situation where you feel it's over. Gabe, you don't know what I've done. You know what I'm going through. You don't know the circumstances I'm in. It's over for me. I've walked too far. Uh, my heart, I've done, I've done wicked things. I've hurt too many people. I would love to take my little girl's symbol and put her in your arms and say, it's not over yet. Peace and grace into your story. That thing that haunted you that you think you'll never be able to walk free from, the peace and grace of God. I, I won't be able to do that with every one of us. My daughter wouldn't probably like it. But I've got something better that I want to tell you. Every single book in the New Testament, while well, most of them, majority of them start with this, grace and peace to you in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus says, peace I give you, not as the world gives, but one that I give that cannot be taken away. I want to tell you that grace and peace can come into every single heart here, every disqualified heart, every disappointed heart, every dead heart that says, I don't know how to get free. Grace and peace can come. Because this is for me, not the cute and cuddly Christmas story, This is the Christmas glory that takes dead people, disappointed people, disqualified people, and makes them sons and daughters of God. Can we bow our heads at this moment? Tonight on this Christmas, I believe this Christmas could be the best Christmas ever for many of us here tonight. Maybe you've been far from God. You're feeling far from Him. You're feeling... I, I don't know how to even get close. I want to tell you, sir, it's, ma'am, it's not about making more promises to come to church. It's not making more promises to be a nicer person. It's not even making promises to join Virgin Active in January. I promise you, our only hope is not in our promises, but in His promises, which says that because of Jesus, 
it's not over yet. If you in this moment are here and you're saying, whether for the first time or for the hundredth time, but I don't care about the semantics of it. But if you're saying, today, Gabe, I've been languishing in, in, in disappointment. I've been, I've been staying in brokenness. I've been staying in my disqualification. I've been staying in my sin for too long. But tonight, this Christmas, I'm choosing to put my trust in the God who came to earth, the Son of God who became the Son of Man, so the sons of men could become son, the sons and daughters of God. If you tonight are wanting to put your trust in Jesus, whether it's for the first time or, or it's for the hundredth time, tonight I'm asking you for the step of faith to receive his peace and grace into whatever broken situation. Say, Jesus, I trust you. The simplicity of this moment is I trust you. I'd ask you to lift your hands right now so I can pray for you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Keep them up. They just, our hands do nothing but their postures of our hearts. Extend saying, our heart, God, is yours. I thank you right now for every heart here, Jesus. Every disqualified heart that feels that's been separate, that's been run over, that's been left aside. I thank you, God, you are drawing them near in this moment. Your peace and grace are coming to their hearts. Every disappointed heart that's been let down, rejected, that's been forgotten. I thank you, Father God, your provision is meeting them now and saying, I am enough for you. I pray for every dead heart here that has been caught in their sin, their pattern of sin that wants to break free and say, I'm done with my sinful life. I want to trust you, Jesus. I thank you, Father God, that the place of death would become a place of life as they choose you ahead of everything else. I thank you, God, that it's in faith and faith alone that saves us. I thank you. It's faith in you, Jesus. Right now, wherever you are, can you just say this? If you lift your hands, just stand your breath, say, whatever situation, say, Jesus, I trust you. Speak life to your heart. Say, Jesus, I trust you. Right now, I thank you, Father God, would your peace and your grace settle upon every single heart, every single mind here. And as people respond in faith, I thank you, Father God, that your joyful whisper starts to go in their hearts saying, it's not over yet. It's not over yet. It's not over yet.